you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 13. In the church Bible, that is page 1187. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and read into verse 16. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Across the world today, we hear in North America, Africa, the UK, and many other parts, a teaching that goes around which says, if you have enough faith, you'll be healed. If you obey God enough, he'll bless you with riches, success, and no problems. If you come and follow Jesus... All your life will be free of problems, worries, and struggles. If you obey God enough, you'll receive his favor, which will make you happy, successful, rich, and healthy. That teaching is a false teaching, and usually called the prosperity gospel, and it's totally contrary to the true biblical message. This evening, we'll see in our passage what the real Christian life looks like if we are going to be faithful followers of Jesus. We've already seen in Thessalonians that suffering is part of the Christian life. We saw in chapter 1, verse 6, that the Thessalonians had severe suffering. We also saw in chapter 2, verse 2, that Paul had received suffering for spreading the gospel. And this passage tonight tells us, as Christians, it's normal to receive opposition. Although there's much joy and happiness in following Jesus, the truth is being a Christian means we are destined to suffer opposition. Last time we saw in chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, how we can be faithful servants of Jesus. This time in chapter 2, verses 13 to 16, we'll see what it looks like if we seek to be faithful servants of Jesus. Tonight we'll see that when God's word is at work in us, we will be opposed. This is the normal Christian life, a life of suffering, opposition, and endurance. So let's dive into this passage tonight and see how Paul outlines the norm for the Christian. He starts off by saying they receive God's word for what it is. Notice point number one receiving God's word rightly. 
verse 13, receiving God's word rightly. Paul takes us back to chapter 1 and builds on the conversion of these Thessalonians. He thanks God because they've received God's word for what it actually is. Notice verse 6 of chapter 1, Paul explaining the conversion of the Thessalonians. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Paul here in verse 13 highlights an enormous part of the Christian life, receiving God's word for what it actually is, the word of God. This text tonight is a theme all the way through connecting to the Word of God. And in the first part, we learn that the Thessalonians receive God's Word for what it is. Look at Paul's wording in verse 13. We also thank God. Paul thanks God because receiving God's Word for what it is, is an act of God. And when these Thessalonians heard Paul's message about the gospel, they accepted it as if it was the Word of God. This isn't something we can do by ourselves. Think about it. Naturally, God's Word to us is just a load of information or words. In our, in our very being, our response to God's Word isn't to obey it or receive it. If we were to go back to the universe and we were to hear and watch the triune God creating the universe, we would watch Him creating the sea and telling it to stop there, and it would stop at his command. We'd see him creating the moon and telling it, telling it to go over there, and it would go at his command. We'd see him creating the sun, S-U-N, and then he'd command it to shine over there, and it would shine. Then we see God creating the human race, telling them they can eat from any tree in the garden apart from one. And then we'd see humans trampling God's word underfoot and disobeying him. We humans naturally disobey the word of God because we don't receive it for what it really is. Just think about children as an example. We don't have to teach them to disobey. We tell them not to do something just for them to do exactly what we tell them not to. Disobeying God's word is something we all do naturally. Therefore, Paul thanks God for their receiving of God's word rightly. If you are a Christian tonight, praise God. That's not something that was automatic or because you made a better decision than the next person. You're a Christian tonight because God shined his light into your heart and spoke life through his word and you believe the gospel. God made you alive in Christ as you heard the gospel. He enabled you to see your need of Jesus and he granted you repentance and faith. Receiving God's word for what it is, is an act of God. That's why Paul thanks God here in verse 13. And then also, I'd like to point out that when we read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, do we realize that these are the very words of God? Yes, some parts are easier to read than others, and some parts are easier to understand than others. But these are the very words of God. When we pick up our Bible and it says, love one another, love the Lord your God with all your heart, don't gossip, don't lie, pray without ceasing, 
Encourage one another. Spur each other on towards love and good works. Love your neighbor as yourself and many other commands. When we read or hear them in the Bible, that's a command from Almighty God. That's coming from the sovereign creator of the universe. This isn't optional. This is the very, these words are from the very mouth of God. When you read your Bible, remember, that's from the God of the universe, and it's not to be taken lightly. Verse 13 outlines to the Thessalonians and to us how we are to receive God's word rightly. And then we see at the end of verse 13, Paul says, The word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. How do we know if God's word is actually at work in us? Think point number two. God's work in us brings opposition. Verses 14 to 15a. God's work in us brings opposition. Look at what Paul says at the end of verse 13 again. The word of God is at work in the Thessalonians. How does Paul know this? Look at the start of verse 14, for, which here means because. The word of God is at work in you because you became imitators of the churches in Judea. Does that mean the Thessalonians dressed like those in Judea? Or does it mean they became, uh, they were similar to the Christians in Judea? Now the Thessalonians became imitators by receiving the same opposition as the Judeans. Just think about that link. As believers, we receive God's word, which also means we receive opposition. Look at what Paul directs us to in verse 14. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. The word of God is at work in the Thessalonians because they suffer the same opposition as other Christians. So what, what, does, this, what does this mean? Does this mean that as soon as anybody becomes a Christian, they suddenly receive opposition from unbelievers? Does it mean that every Christian receives opposition? Let's think, what were the Thessalonians doing? If you look back to 1 Thessalonians verses chapter 1, verses 8 to 10, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The Thessalonians were living and speaking the gospel. That's why they were opposed. Notice verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you. And in verse 9, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This tells us the Thessalonians were opposed because they spread the gospel out and because they lived it out and everyone knew how they lived. Opposition only comes when we speak and live the gospel out. If we are taking God's word seriously and his word is at work in us, 
then we'll receive opposition. Most medications today have a little side note on the tablet packet which, which, says, which might say, could cause tiredness or headaches or might cause muscle aches. And these are called side effects. The, medication, the medicine recalls this so that if it happens, you know it is normal. When you get a headache, you realize it's a side effect to your medication and you don't need to worry. In fact, you can be confident that the medicine is doing what it told you it would do. And as Christians, when we receive opposition to the gospel, we can be confident that God's word is at work in us and Jesus' words are coming true. This opposition does look different in China or in North Korea, Spain, England, Afghanistan. Here in Pelsall, we're unlikely to be imprisoned or lose our life for being a Christian. But opposition may come in schools by being insulted or called stupid because you believe in God. Opposition may come from work colleagues making fun of you or silencing you when you offer your opinion and people telling you your views are outdated. Opposition may come from your family getting angry when you share the gospel to them. Opposition may come through the government not letting the gospel get into schools, stopping people getting a Christian influence regarding the LGBT issues. Whatever happens in the next hundred years, be sure of this, opposition to the gospel won't go away. But this opposition isn't initially against you. It's against the Lord Jesus. It's ultimately against the word of God and the spread of the gospel. Notice in verse 15 who Paul puts these suffering Thessalonians alongside. The Lord Jesus, the prophets, and Paul says us. Paul was an apostle. So the Thessalonians in their sufferings are side by side with Jesus, the prophets, and the apostles. These are the means that God got his word out. He proclaimed his word through the prophets. Then came Jesus, who is the actual word of God. Then came the apostles. This is how the word of God spread. And Paul is highlighting the fact these Thessalonians are in good company. And it's normal. God's means to spread the gospel today is obviously his word. But what he does now is he takes his word to others through his people. And this is what the Thessalonians were doing. And today, God gets his work out to unbelievers through his people speaking the gospel. Therefore, if, if you today are opposed by school friends, work colleagues, neighbors, family, because you follow Jesus and you speak the gospel to them, be encouraged. God's word is at work in you. Maybe you feel it's constant and you rarely get anywhere sharing the gospel. Maybe you feel as if it makes no difference speaking out. Don't give up. Because even though you may be opposed often, even though you may be laughed at or mocked, remember Jesus' words from Matthew 5.11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Maybe you feel as if you just don't fit in. 
That's a good sign. This is what Jesus said would happen to his people. When God's word is at work in Christians, they are opposed. They are the odd ones out. But this is a normal Christian life. This is what we should expect as we live in light of Jesus' return. But how do we keep going? How do we keep going with all this opposition? We look back to verse 13. We keep receiving God's word. We remember God's word telling us in Philippians 1, 6, be confident, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Remember Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that the present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We take note of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And then we remember Jesus' words from John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. God's word is our help when opposition comes. We look to what God has promised. We look to the hope we have in Jesus at the end. We are carried through by God's strength in us. What God has promised he will do, the suffering will not last forever. We keep going, keep living and speaking the gospel in the midst of opposition because that's the most loving way we can be, even if people don't think so. Speaking the gospel to unbelievers is the most loving thing we can do. And this is why the Thessalonians were opposed. We notice verse 15b to 16 tells us they displease God, they are hostile to everyone, and he put their sins to the limit. The opponents of the gospel do this when they hinder the spread of God's word. So let's finally consider this point, point three. Gospel opponents will be judged. <clears throat> Notice verse 15b to 16. In verse 14, Paul talks about some Gentiles who opposed the gospel living of the Thessalonians. And he says that they, were opposed, they opposed the Thessalonians in the same way the Jews opposed Paul. And also the Jews in former days opposed the prophets and the Lord Jesus. And this brings Paul to talk about the Jews heaping up their sins to the limit. This links back to Genesis, uh, a passage in Genesis 15, 16, where a people are ripe for judgment. This is what it means, sins to the limit, heaping up their sins to a limit. It means God is about to judge them. In Genesis 15, 16, God is talking to Abraham about the land and his descendants coming back to the land. But the land that Ammonites, who God is about to judge, were still living in it. Their sin, it says, their sin hadn't reached its full measure. 
For what God is saying is he, he will judge the Ammonites eventually when their sin has reached its limit. And what Paul is saying here is that the Jews heaped their sins to the max, to the limit. What is Paul implying with this? Paul says the Jews displeased God and are hostile to everyone. Therefore, Paul is saying the greatest crime against people we can do is hindering the spread of the gospel. If we stop people hearing the gospel, it stops the possibilities of them being saved. The only hope for humans is the gospel, is salvation through Jesus, sins forgiven through Jesus, going to Jesus to receive forgiveness for our sins. That Without the gospel, there's no other hope. There's no other way. There's no second chance. There's no hope without the gospel. It's only through believing in Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection. There's no salvation in no other name but Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Yet if people don't hear this, they can't be saved. Therefore, stopping people receiving the gospel is the most hateful thing people can do. Therefore, Paul says at the end of this passage, God's wrath has come upon them. Some people say this is to do with what was to come in AD 70, where the Romans would come and destroy the temple. But if we look closer at the, at the passage, we see it's in past slash, uh, present slash past tense. These Jews have God's wrath upon them now. This is most likely referring to the Jews rejecting Jesus as their Messiah uh, because of the hardness of their heart. This is God's wrath upon them. They have hard hearts. They cannot see Jesus as their Savior. Instead, they seek to stop the spread of the gospel and seek to stop Gentiles being saved. John Owen once said, <clears throat> The most tremendous judgment of God in this world is the hardening of the hearts of men. Romans 1, 24 and 25 says, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. We see from this passage what God does to those who reject him and his word. They exchange the truth about God for a lie. Therefore, God gives them over. The one thing we don't want to happen to us is God leaving us in our sin. Notice what Charles Spurgeon says about the, the, in this quote. The same sun which melts the wax hardens the clay, and the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. Though this was written around about under 2,000 years ago, this has great relevance for us. Firstly, gospel opponents will be judged. We can be encouraged through this because one day the opposition to the gospel will end. 
We know that hindering the spread of the gospel is opposing humanity because it stops people hearing the gospel to be saved. This is a terrible sin and certainly deserves God's judgment. God's full wrath will be unleashed on the opponents of the gospel. God will avenge them. But secondly, as Christians, don't see opposition negatively, whether that's from family, friends, at work, or anybody who opposes you for your faith. Don't let it discourage you as a Christian, since it's actually a sure sign God's word is at work in you. This can be part of our assurance as a Christian, because when this happens, we look like the saints of old and ultimately look like the Lord Jesus. Well, this can be a challenge to us as well. Obviously, we're all at different stages of life, but if you are somebody who never receives opposition, that could be an indication God's word is not at work in you. Because if we don't speak and live the gospel, we'll not receive opposition. Of course, some people are just indifferent to the gospel, and that may occur when we, when we speak the gospel to them. And we aren't to rile people up so that we receive opposition, but we're to speak the gospel in love and truth. Telling people they are sinners in need of a savior and a radical change of life through God's power alone is offensive. But this is what people need and this is what God calls us to do. Therefore, let's keep doing that and contrast what these Jews did in verse 15. We, we please God and are loving to everyone when we share the gospel. This evening we've seen that God's work in us brings opposition. But when this happens, we can be assured we are following the footsteps of Jesus. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus knew what it was like to suffer. He was opposed by his own nation. He was opposed by his family, and even his disciples opposed him. Jesus suffered opposition after opposition, yet he held firm to the end. He kept going. Hebrews 4, verse 14 to 16 tells us, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in, in our time of need. Jesus, the one who suffered for us on the cross, he died for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved from hell, from our sin. Jesus died for us and he suffered on that cross so that we could be reconciled to God through him by going to him. He knows what it is like to be opposed, and he tells us to go to him in our time of need. He knows what it's like, and he comes alongside us in our opposition, and he suffers with us. The opposition we face, Jesus takes on himself. He's able to give us the grace and help we need when we're opposed. And as we sing our 
two final songs, it reminds us of a bigger picture of our struggles and trials on earth, that Jesus is with us and God is sovereign over us. So let's now close by reminding ourselves of God's goodness to us through the struggles of life. Let's, let's stand and sing all the way my Savior leads me and then sovereign over us.
Father, we thank you for your faithfulness over 2022. Uh, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Uh, we pray that we would trust you 
for 2023, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We pray that we would continue to trust in your son, Jesus, regardless of what this year may bring. We thank you that we can trust you, and we thank you that you are our strength in every situation. So, Father, we thank you for being with us tonight, and I pray that you would go with us into this year, and we would continually trust you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.